This is episode number seven with top analytics consultant Artem Vladimirov. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this super special episode of the Super Data Science Podcast. I hope you're ready for a crazy roller coaster. This episode is with one of my best friends, Artem Vladimirov. Artem and I go way back. We studied together in our master's degrees starting from 2010, and then in 2012, we joined Deloitte and worked there together in the data science department. And then our paths split in around 2014. I went into industry and Artem went into another consulting firm, which is called the Boston Consulting Group, which is a top tier consulting firm. And he continued doing data science there. And it was so great to catch up now. It's been a long time. We do talk occasionally, but I don't keep track as much of what he does in his career. And today I learned so much about how he has grown and what a great consultant, world-class consultant he has become. I'll give you a few examples. Just in the past two years, Artem has traveled to at least six different countries ranging from Spain, Hong Kong, India, Italy, all over the place, performing consulting engagements with large clients and we're talking deals and projects that range from million dollars and sometimes even more than a million dollars which is which is normal for this organization the boston consulting group so you can kind of like tell what caliber of consultant he is the interesting very interesting thing that i learned from this podcast is what artem does is actually not entirely classified as data science. It is a mix of different approaches and methodologies, and it's actually called advanced analytics. And advanced analytics is a bit different to data science, and I think you will find this very interesting. Advanced analytics involves more of a simulation type approach. So I don't know if you've ever heard of or even played this game called SimCity back when we were, you know, we were kids. There was a game, SimCity, and we would be able to build a city and then, you know, stuff would happen in the city and then your fire trucks would dispatch and they'd go and you'd, you'd be like controlling the city from a bird's eye view. So that is very similar. That's kind of like the way, the simplified way of what I think, uh, the way I imagine what he does is he builds these simulation models, which are actually little miniature models on your computer of, for example, a supply chain or of a warehouse or of a company that's producing something on conveyor belts and they have some bottlenecks and adjusting certain parameters on, on this simulation model, he can identify where the potential bottlenecks are, where the challenges in the supply chain are, how... Uh, the company should place its warehouses and so on. And it's great that in this podcast, Artem actually goes into several case studies in a lot of detail. So uh, Artem will walk us through, like literally walk us through a case study of a project that uh, he did for a bank where they were performing some modeling and he will explain exactly which algorithm they were using. It was random forests and how he thought about it. And I, I really drill into the questions and I ask him a lot about, you know, the way he he thinks about it, what was the overall business challenge was, and we learn a lot from that. Then there'll be a case study about uh, some warehouses which he was optimizing somewhere in Europe, the placement of warehouses or store facilities, storage facilities. So that was also a valuable thing. So, And regardless of what you're using analytics for, whether you're pursuing a career in analytics or you're building an analytics culture and environment or you're an executive and you want to leverage analytics more in your business, you will find a lot of value in this podcast. We go into all of these different details and ways you can be applying analytics. And also Artem will share a little bit of his background with us. And it's very interesting because I actually knew this, but I forgot and uh, he reminded me that Artem's background isn't actually in 
data science or analytics. So the stuff he studied at uni was economics and finance. And when he went into Deloitte, he really had to develop these skills such as R programming, any logic and SQL from scratch. So he didn't have any of these skills. And his career is a great testament to the saying that where there's a will, there's a way. So just by looking at how he approached this challenge in his life of becoming a data scientist from scratch after university, you will be very inspired to go and do the same. Because if he had the determination and the willpower to persevere and actually achieve the results that he has achieved and build this super successful career for himself, then you should be inspired to find that same willpower, that same perseverance and determination to build a career for yourself just like Artem did. Can't wait for you to check out all of the value inside this class. You'll notice that we went a bit over time. That is because we just got so carried away in all of these discussions. This is a super exciting episode. And without further ado, I bring to you Artem Vladimirov of the Boston Consulting Group. Hey guys, welcome to this podcast. I'm super excited. You can probably tell by my voice. I've got my good friend, Artem Vladimirov here. Artem, hey mate, how are you going? Hi, Kirill. Great to talk to you. I'm good, and you? Great, great. Thanks. For those of you who don't know, Artem and I go way back. We met, when was it? Like back in 2010, yeah? Yeah, 2010, 2011, back at uni time. Yeah, we both went to the same university and studied uh, pretty much the same degree. And do you remember that crazy story of how we met? Something like you introduced yourself to someone from Zimbabwe. Yeah, I do remember something like that. I tell people still, it is like the stupidest thing ever. Remember, it was our first lecture of our first class, and we both went to the wrong building. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's <was> true. <laughs> we were supposed to go to a statistics class, and we went, and we were the only two out of our statistics class. We went to the biology, biological class or something, and like everybody, and we didn't recognize anybody. We didn't understand what's going on. We were just like sitting there like two idiots. It was so cool. It's such a coincidence back in the day, yeah. And then since then, a lot of things crossed still in our paths. We got a lot of time to bond and connect. We did, we did all our, all our assignments together, yeah. For especially for economics, the group assignments that was fun. And then we started working at Deloitte together, yeah? That's true. We worked together for several years at Deloitte. It was a fun time. It was, what was the department? It was called Data Analytics at first, and then it was called Decision Science, yeah? Yeah, Data Analytics, and then it was renamed to Decision Science and Analytics. Yeah, I remember how they called it DADS for a while. <laughs> yeah, Decision <laughs> Science and what it was called? And Delo- data, uh... Deloitte Analytics and Decision Science. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that wasn't wasn't the best choice of name. It's just dads. Yeah, good old days. Um. Anyway, and since since then, I left Deloitte. I went into industry and then uh, quit that. And now I I do this. And you moved to a very exciting and new role, which personally I don't even know much about. You moved to BCG, Boston Consulting Group, right? That's right. It happened. I also left Deloitte shortly after you left and I joined, but I didn't leave the industry though. I stayed within the consulting and I joined the Boston Consulting Group working in the same team in the big data and advanced analytics with slightly different focus than I had before, but I'm happy to discuss it in more detail. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great if you can tell us a bit about it because all I can hear and like uh, from, from you is like when I want to, I don't know, catch up or have a chat with you, you're like, oh, I'm in India or I'm in America today, or I'm in Japan. You're like all over the place. And like, what do you do for a job? (laughs) Um, So I'm working in the big data and advanced analytics team. Um, It's an expert team which provides expertise to our case teams. So uh, it's either providing expertise or we do cases for the clients. And uh, I personally am working at the intersection of data and advanced analytics techniques. So like just spatial modeling, dynamic simulation mathematical optimizations and with practical applications of my work including things like network design and optimization for financial institutions or for retail stores things like supply chain optimization pretty much for any industry the bottlenecking of manufacturing facilities so i may guess that it's more advanced analytics rather than big data i would say 
probably 25% data scientists and 75% is advanced analytics. Very interesting. And before the podcast, you actually mentioned to me that you're doing more advanced analytics and data science. Could you tell us a bit more, what is the difference between advanced analytics and data science? Yeah, sure. So for instance, um, as I mentioned, I'm doing dynamic simulations. So that's uh, programming in Java and that Java is one of the tools that I use. Um, that's creating models which look like simplified versions of computer games where you can see things moving around. So I create these models for in for shops, for industrial shops where they produce stuff like metals, for instance. And then I use these models to test various scenarios. Like if they're going to change certain production logic, how it would impact their, um, their total production in terms of tons. And in to develop these thing, these things, you don't need data per se. So you just need estimates. So let's say, what's your average processing time? What distribution does it follow? Uh, what's your maintenance logic for your equipment? So whether it's so you're taking down your equipment, let's say one once in a month for planned maintenance, and then there is certain probability for unplanned maintenance. And it's just literally a few numbers for each of these rules. So let's say 15 minutes average time and five minutes standard deviation for processing time for equipment A, et cetera, et cetera. Like in order to get these estimates, of course, you need to do some data crunching. So that's where data analytics comes in to help as well. But I usually ask someone else to do this. Um, but just to develop these models, you don't need this to do this data crunching. You can just use dummy variables to see how it's working. Like I can use, let's say, 30 minutes, having no idea what the real processing time, time may be to develop this model. And then I just feed the estimates into this model. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So it's you're kind of like building a little a mini version or a computer version of the factory or of the supply chain or of the, um, I don't know, network or something so that you can model it and speed up the process and understand whether issues and bottlenecks will, will occur in real life. Is that correct? Exactly. Or take, for instance, just spatial modeling. So that's taking into account geography into consideration in your analysis. Um, you don't need huge data sets to do just spatial modeling. So what you need to know is locations of your, let's say, stores or points of interest um, locations of your competitors, things like road distances, um, and then you can find out what's the optimal locations of your warehouses, for example, to minimize total transportation costs for your client. Very cool. The way I imagine in my head right now is like a little SimCity, you know, that game SimCity where it's like like these, you're building a city. Or yeah, and then and then something happens like a fire breaks out and your your uh, little um, uh, fire truck has to get there on time and you kind of like modeling you can even try to rebuild a, a big city like New York or something like that. So yeah, that's that's the way I think about it. Pretty pretty much, except for we don't have disasters. <laughs> All right, so that's pretty cool. So in in that sense, advanced analytics isn't like because I th- when you mentioned advanced analytics, I thought it was like a step up from data science. It, from what you're explaining. It sounds like just a something that's parallel to data science, right? Is that correct? I would say that's something that supplements data uh, data analytics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something separate to data analytics, but at the same time, it often complements each other. Okay, okay, that that sounds pretty cool. And so, if you can do this all on your computer, why do you have to always go and actually visit the client, whether it's India, Japan, America, and all these other crazy places that you've been to recently? <laughs> That's a good question. So as part of my role, I look after Asia-Pacific region. So I do projects for the clients, not only in Australia, but in the whole Asia-Pacific region and with some occasions um, for global projects. So for example, recently I have been in Europe to do a project for one of our European clients. And the reason why I have to travel is because while I can develop all these models remotely from Sydney, where I currently live, which I often do, but um, an important part of my work is uh, to understand the business rules and, let's say, the rules of the game. So you need to understand to understand what are what is the business problem first, and then what are the business rules, what are the business constraints that shape that can shape this solution or this problem, and you need to discuss it with the client. So the most efficient way is to 
face-to-face with the client, discuss these things, and then start developing the model. And then after you have, let's say, a first version of the model ready with some preliminary insights or results, you need to validate it. You need to make sure like, these results make sense in the context of the business. So you do some validation of this result. Again, you sit with the client, you sit with the people in the business to understand whether this result makes sense. And most often than not, first version, like the results from the first version wouldn't make total sense just because it's very hard from the first time to take into account every single business rules that can shape your solution. So you will probably miss something in, the, in your first iteration. Mm-hmm. And then you will try to understand, okay, if like if your solution does not really make sense, doesn't make sense 100%, like, what do you do? Um, like, what did you miss? Uh, what can you add to the model that's realistic and that will shape this solution? Okay, yeah, makes sense. And so you're kind of like visiting these places and talking to these people and actually seeing the place to develop a certain level of domain knowledge. Is that, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I even visited one metal plant, metal making plant, so that I worked with the case team on the ground there. Mm. And I also had to visit a shop itself so that I basically, I know exactly what I'm modeling. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us, just so that our our listeners can get a feel for your lifestyle, uh, what, what countries have you been to in the past two years? So I work in Australia, um, but in the past few years, I've been to the States, I've been to Japan, I've been to Hong Kong, Italy, Spain, Singapore, mm-hmm. India, uh, Russia. <laughs> but that, was, well, that was pretty much for holidays, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. That's so cool. I, I even I'm a bit jealous, like in a, in a good way. That I'm I'm happy for you. I'm really happy that you know you get to travel. And <laughs> Thank you. do you do you find it stressful, like traveling all the time for work, or do you do you find yourself doing what do you do on the plane? Like it's such a long flight from Australia to Italy and Spain, and so on. Like what do you find yourself doing? Do you, do you just keep working all the time? I mean, if I have to work, I have to work. But very often it's night flights. Mm-hmm. Generally, dependent business class. Nice. Well. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you just relax and watch movies. Mm-hmm. Your frequent flyer miles must be through the roof. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, which alliance are you with? I'm with Qantas, but actually, to be honest, I have not traveled much in the last six months. So uh, they're probably going to downgrade me from gold to silver. And then I'm also gold with Singapore Airlines. I also have some status with Emirates and Etihad. Yeah. (laughs) Everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Sounds like fun. So, like, uh, you mentioned cases. You said you're with the case team or you're working on a case. Like, that sounds very kind of... um, like a police case or a legal case. I'm assuming it's not, of course. Uh, but what is a case? Because I remember Deloitte, we never had that term. What What do you mean by case? It's a project. So oh. every company has its own terminology for a project. I think at Deloitte, we've had uh, an engagement for this. Mm-hmm. So called it engagements. Here it's called cases. Mm-hmm. In some other places, it's called projects. So, but it's essentially a project for the sort of clients. Okay. Now that our listeners have um, kind of envisaged who Artem is and that he's obviously just like without, without a doubt, you're very successful in what you do in your career and you sound very happy about what you do and you who wouldn't be traveling the world and doing all these exciting projects. Can you tell us uh, please a little bit more about your background so that our listeners can understand what pathway you took to get to where you are? Sure. So my first degree was in economics, and then I got my postgraduate degree in finance, which is completely different from what I'm doing right now, to be honest. Um, And then I started to work at Deloitte uh, in the data analytics team. And to be honest, in the first three months, I thought I'm going to leave it just because I knew a bit of programming, but not much. So things like R, I didn't know about. I had to learn it from scratch. I had to learn SQL from scratch. So most of the tools I had to learn from scratch. And then I was looking 
at, let's say I was thrown in the ocean and I was looking at the, uh, let's say, SQL scripts that they had in place and I just didn't understand anything, to be honest. Mm. And I thought I'm not going to survive for long. Um, but then I kind of started to understand everything. I spent a lot of time uh, like all after office hours um, trying to understand uh, all the procedures, all the scripts, trying to learn the language. And I kind of liked it. And uh, that's how I became a data scientist. Wow, that's I love it. That's a great story. And I actually forgot about that because you had told me uh, those things that you you needed to learn uh, even SQL from scratch. So it's a great example that, you know, like, yes, you do have two degrees, you have a bachelor and you have a master's, but they're completely in unrelated field. Yes, it's economics and finance. So it's somewhat related, but you still had to build your data science skill set from scratch. And I think that's going to stand as a lot of inspiration to a lot of people who are going to be listening to this podcast who don't know where to start. Like you're a great example of a person who didn't give up who actually just pushed through it and, like you say, late nights and perseverance and actually learning all of these tools from scratch. So, yeah, that's that's great to hear. What would you say is the one biggest piece of advice you can give to somebody who's going to be in the same shoes you were in four years ago or was it six years ago? Do what you like. Just don't, like if you don't like um, the area that you're working in or that you're studying, think hard about it, whether you should uh, continue. Because the main strength is in in what you like. Like if you like it, then you will find inspiration. You will find uh, strengths to do it. Um, Yeah, and just don't give up. That's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. And speaking of learning our programming, because uh, recently we chatted and uh, we were talking about R. And uh, if you don't mind me mentioning, like you said that you don't use R much and you're slowly starting to forget that um, that skill. Do you think it's it's easy if you wanted to recover? Do you think it would take you a long time to recover R programming now? No, pretty quickly. <laughs> in a few hours, I pretty much remember everything. I think uh, the reason why I'm not using R so much is that I now switched to another tool, uh, which is called Alteryx, which is kind of a mixture of SQL and R. So basically, what I could do is a combination of these two tools, SQL and R, I can now do in one. So Alteryx has an inbuilt, um, let's say, module and inbuilt procedures for um, R, for R and uh, you can do so there are inbuilt uh, things like regressions, uh, random forests, things like that, which are based on R code. So you can basically run R code from uh, in Alteryx. Okay. It's quite cool. Okay. Can you tell us a bit more about Alteryx? Is it a free software uh, and also these um, models that are incorporated? Uh, do you need to download libraries to install them or do they come prepackaged and some, some stuff like that? So it's not free. It's commercial software. To be honest, I'm not sure how much license costs. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it's not too expensive. It's definitely cheaper than some of the other software that we use. Um, and what it can do, so it's very good in data manipulation. So things like uh, queries, data uh, restructuring, joining tables, things like that, aggregations, grouping. Uh, but then it also has some other modules, uh, inbuilt, let's say, modules, which allow you to do some additional things. So, for example, there is a model, as I said, um, for statistical modeling, which is linked to R, which can do regressions, random forest, neural networks, and it's very easy to set up. So easy, you don't need to program, you just drag and drop different elements together and create like a diagram. And then you can also do simple geospatial modeling in, in Alteryx as well. So, for example, if I have a client who is a retailer and I know their location, locations of their stores and I know competitors, locations of their competitors, I can pretty quickly derive something like 10-minute drive time radius based on actual drive, uh, drive time network, based on actual road network. And I can understand what kind of population lives within 10 minutes of our client stores and within competitors, within 10 minutes of competitor stores. So what is the demographics of these uh, catchments? Compare it, um, do some analytics on that. Wow, and that all happens within Alteryx. Yeah. That's that's really cool. And uh, so is that, is that what you predominantly use it for, or do you also utilize the random forest and um, neural network algorithms that you mentioned? Yeah, I also use it for statistical modeling. Okay, okay, that's that's very interesting. 
What are the probably two or three most used modeling algorithms that, or which ones are the ones that you use most? So if we're talking about statistics, then it will be uh, linear regressions and random forests or GLMs or boosted models. Sometimes you would use things like random forests, which are essentially black box, right? You don't know exactly how they operate. Well, you know, know roughly how they operate, but you don't know exactly uh, how they transform the input data into the final recommendations. So you don't know exactly how each of the different attributes that you put into this model, how does it affect your final output? You can do some some sensitivities, but it's effectively a black box. And some sometimes I use that, like if I don't need to explain how exactly did I get to this result, if I just need to predict something. So, for instance, recently I used it to predict, um, let's say, total value for that a bank can get from each area in Australia based on their current customer base. So, let's say they have current customers distributed um, across the whole Australia. They don't have customers everywhere in every single region. And uh, we had 55,000 different areas that we can split Australia in. And they don't have, obviously, don't have customers in every single area. Now, what we can do based on the current customer base, uh, based on the demographics and value the products that they take, we can infer what is the what are the other areas are worse for this bank if they put a branch in these areas. And I did that using a random forest, just because I need I, I had to make a prediction. I didn't need to explain exactly like what kind of like which demographics attributes result in um, in uplift in this metric in my final metrics. However, there are other situations when you would probably discard uh, random forests or GLMs or whatever other model you are using in favor of a much simpler model, something like a linear regression. It can have a bit less of predictive power, but its major strength is in the fact that you can it's interpretable. You can easily interpret it in terms of coefficients. So each of the, let's say, each of your predictors will have a coefficient associated with it, and the value of that coefficient will basically indicate what's the impact of this predictor on your final outcome, which is which can be very very useful. Assuming you're doing your statistical analysis right, assuming there um, there is no multicollinearity and other. Um, very scary statistical things. Homoscedasticity, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> assuming, um, I guess, assuming uh, all major assumptions hold, then you can, yeah, like the coefficients are pretty interpretable and you can basically make, um, you can say how much each predictor, what's the input of each predictor on your final outcome. That's really cool. That's, that's really cool. And it's um, interesting you mentioned that because uh, I'll probably, this is more for our listeners, that if you're interested in learning about any of those algorithms like random forests or linear regressions and all of the interpretation, you might want to check out the courses on super data science, which are the machine learning course and the data science A to Z. We discuss all of those things in a lot of detail. So a lot of the students listening to this podcast will actually um, should be quite familiar with these concepts. The only one I'd like to ask you to clarify a little bit is GLM. What does GLM stand for? generalized linear model, which mm-hmm. is just a version of a more sophisticated version of linear models, but then uh, it can take up different combinations. So it's not just linear relationships that it can test. That's really cool. And random forests, linear regressions, and that was a great example about the, the bank and um, how you would predict the outcome for the bank. How, like, I'm still trying to get my head around, how do you think of that problem in a way to say, oh, oh, it actually makes sense. I probably should use a um, random forest algorithm because at the end of the day, random forest is a combination of decision tree algorithms, right? So it's just many decision trees, then they're averaged out outcome from there. So how would you go about thinking a business problem to come up with the conclusion that the random forest is the way to go in, in this situation? Well, you start with the business problem as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to understand what your business problem is, what the business implications are. And then what I do, I spend a few hours in front of a whiteboard trying to basically pencil out a solution or drawing out a methodology. How would I approach this problem? Mm-hmm. And let's say 
about the example that I gave you, it was actually part of the problem. So that was, let's say, a first step uh, to solving a much larger problem. And the problem was that uh, we had to determine best locations for their branches. So to do a network optimization for that bank and to determine best locations for the branches. And then I thought about it, about this problem, like how would you solve it? Let's say in order to make a decision on where would you put branches geographically, you need to know A, like how is the value distributed geographically? So what is the potential of each area? And then you need to know how do these branches capture this value. Having these two pieces together, you can then run mathematical optimization, maximizing the value that these branches capture based on their locations. However, what you don't know, like you don't know these two pieces in advance. So you need to determine the value, like what's the potential of each area. And that's where I use this random forest technique. So I thought about, okay, how can I get, how can I derive the potential of each area in terms of value to, for a bank? Um, of course, we have a current customer base. We know their profitability. We know which products they take. We know where they live, roughly. We know their demographics, again, roughly, their age, their gender, et cetera, et cetera. And we can use this to understand whether these demographics, whether these attributes, affect the profitability of a customer. So whether, for example, all the people take more uh, valuable products, take more mortgages, things like that. And then you use this uh, insight to make a, to run statistical model, to make a prediction. Okay, now that I know this information about my demographics, how it impacts my profitability um, of my customers, now, I also know population of each area in Australia in terms of number of people and the associated demographics from the census data. And now can run a model, a statistical model, which basically will predict what is the potential of each area based on things that I know. And then I thought about, okay, statistical model. What statistical model can I use? So obviously, you have a range of different statistical models, as we said, JLMs, random forest, and even neural networks, so simple linear models. The choice of which model, so what I often do, I often run several models at once, and then I compare the predictions. So I compare the performance of each model and then select the best model the model which performs the best, subject to certain considerations in regards to whether I need to interpret, okay, uh, whether I need an interpretable model or not, in which case I would not use random forest. Like what kind of an output, so what kind of an outcome, an output variable do I test in it again? So for example, if it's a categorical variable that I want to predict or whether it's a numerical variable, it will all uh, shape the choice of the final technique. That really explains it well. Thank you so much, especially that part where you started mentioning the different characteristics that you have about the customers of the bank, their age, their uh, gender, and other knowledge that you have about them. That kind of like in my head now makes sense where the decision tree comes from. So you kind of like decision trees, like are they you know over 30 or under 30? Are they male or female? Uh, do they work in uh, white collar or blue collar and things like that? And then based on that, you would get a uh, random forest algorithm to work on uh, you, like through using those decision trees and kind of like it makes sense how it would work. So it was a great case study. So thanks a lot for walking us, literally walking us through this case study. It's, I think it's a lot of value for people studying statistics and especially machine learning. Another question I had, since we're talking about some of the work that you've done, what would you say if you can share this information, of course, because I understand BCG has uh, like certain non-disclosure statements and stuff like that, but whatever you can share, what has been your recent biggest win, you would say, in the space of data science or advanced analytics and your biggest challenge in your day-to-day -day role? Tricky question. <laughs> um, I can probably mention uh, one of my previous cases that I've done, uh, which was in Europe. So it was a network design for a European utility company, which I did last year. And it was, I can probably say it was a recent win mm -hmm. that I can share with you. And the reason why it was a very big win for me personally, the work involved very advanced model modeling techniques. So it was very technically sophisticated because it was including an optimization model, so mathematical optimization and the simulation model 
just to solve one problem for a client. Wow. Which is quite a rare case, to be honest. It's a very rare occasion that you would need to, like most often you would just use either optimization, for example, if you want to understand what's the best locations for your warehouses, or you would use a simulation to test certain scenarios. So for example, if you want to test how certain production initiatives will impact your total productivity at a plant. But in that particular case, the problem required the use of two different techniques, including some geospatial modeling as well, and uh, which together with very tangible results achieved for the client and the client appreciation for the project of the whole project made it a very enjoyable case for me. So it was a big win for the client. It was a big win for us. Very nice case, very nice team to work with. Wow, that's that's fantastic. So and that's also a good example. Like I know you, you probably can't go into a lot of detail about the project itself, but good example for those who are listening, who have their own businesses and or who are in managerial or even executive positions. It, like when you think about it, you can just place warehouses anywhere, right? You can just place place warehouses wherever it's cheaper. But then like, why would you do that if you can run some optimization, supply chain optimization and other analytics to understand what is actually the best location for your warehouse? And it's just something that doesn't come to mind right away and maybe for those listening who have their own businesses maybe there's other parts of your businesses that you are just like placing or going about based on your intuition or gut feel or just based on some common standards acceptable ways of conducting business but at the same time maybe there's a better approach through data to actually come up with a more optimized solution so thanks for that and what would you say is your biggest uh, challenge I think it's a very, very good point that uh, you just mentioned, right? Because very often, and I see that a lot um, in our clients, uh, etc., that people just use their gut feeling to make certain decisions, right? So they base them either on Excel spreadsheets, which don't take into account all the business rules, etc. They base them decisions on gut feelings and uh, their intuition based on how the business did it in the past, which is most often not the best way to do things. And let's say, for example, let's take again this example of warehouses. Like you need to put 10 warehouses across the whole country and you need to put it in such a way as to, like you obviously want to minimize your costs, your supply chain costs. And then there can be a lot of, lots of, lots of, lots of different considerations that can shape that can impact this transportation cost. So obviously you want to minimize your transportation distances, whether it's road or rail or whatever else. You want to minimize your inventory costs. Um, then there can be other business rules you need to take into account. So for example, um, I had the case when I had to take into account that when you transport your materials from a warehouse to customers, to a customer, and if they are in the same state, there is no tax applied, but if they in different states, then there is an interstate tax that has to be applied that the client pays for, which basically has lots of lots of impact on your final solution because it basically uh, incentivizes you to put warehouses in the same states where customers are. And then there can be lots of these different businesses that you need to take into account. You may have capacities of your factories playing a huge role. You may have you may have even a limited capacities on your, let's say, railroad transportation or road transportation. And all of this shapes your solution. And you you just can't take all of this into account if you make your decision based on your intuition or based on the historical, how your company did it in the past. So mathematical optimizations, they have become so powerful in the last decade with the computer power basically raising hugely increasing in power and optimizations have become much easier to solve just from the pure processing time and algorithms like algorithms have, algorithms have developed intensely over the last decade 
And then these mathematical optimizations, they can be applied to solve business problems as well. So taking as an example, this warehouses problem. So you can describe all these business rules and constraints in the form of mathematical equations, mathematical thoughts. You have an objective, you have your levers, things you can pull uh, to shape your solution. So in this case, it will be locations of your warehouses, which the model can change. And then your constraints. So your business rules or constraints, such as can be capacities of factories, can be capacities of, uh, your, tra- of your transport can be different taxes, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can, so you can formulate this problem in the form that, in the mathematical form that a computer will understand. And it will try to optimize, it will try to find, let's say, minimized costs, so the, the least cost, subject to all the, all the constraints that you've put in, and it will determine what is the best, in our case, what is the best location of the warehouses, which minimizes the cost, but at the same time satisfies all the constraints that you've put in. And it's so powerful. And we see, so we've implemented these techniques in so many clients. And we can see like huge benefits from just using these techniques. Like huge, you can do things slightly different. So slightly differently than you do now. Uh, and you can save lots of money just because historically you just don't make a decisions, you don't make optimal decisions. And optimizations can consider from like infinitely from an infinite range. Sorry, uh, optimizations can consider from infinite range of alternative solutions. So you can have hundreds or thousands different locations in the country where you can potentially put a warehouse. You can choose either. And optimization will choose the best ones. And that's definitely something you can't do just with gut feel or with, you know, on a piece of paper. Exactly. And the more, more st- like standard approaches would involve, let's say, just tweaking your uh, tweaking the things. So testing different scenarios. Let's say if I just move a warehouse from location A to location B, you would recalculate all the costs, etc. You would compare these two scenarios. And then, okay, if it's better, you say we need to move this warehouse to another location just because it will improve the cost. But then what you don't have a visibility on, again, you may move, you may find another location which is slightly better than the location you've just found, which would further improve your cost. Let's say if you, even if you have just hundreds of locations and if you have 10 warehouses, uh, I can't do months in my head right now, but I believe number of possible combinations where you could put 10 warehouses out of 100 locations, it's enormous. Yep. It's more than trillions of different combinations. <laughs> You've raised a couple of very interesting points uh, when you were uh, describing this um, uh, problem. So mathematical equations, like it might, like in my understanding, it might sound complex, or it might sound like um, you know Fourier transformations or some a crazy high-level mathematics, but it's actually not, right? The, am I right in saying that the mathematical equations you're talking about are very straightforward, like eleventh grade or tenth grade mathematics? Is that is that right? Yeah, it's pretty much right. So the equations are pretty simple. Sorry, simple. It's just the trickiness is to formulate this problem into a form that uh, this optimization will understand. And there are also pitfalls. So very, the most common approach is to use linear programming. So that's when all the equations and constraints are set up in the linear form. That's the easiest um, way to solve it. Because there are lots of algorithms that just basically correct this problem easily if it's uh, formulated in a linear way. But then some problems, well, most of the problems in reality are, non- are non-linear in nature. And uh, there are a few ways how you can uh, approach that. So one way that there are tricks, you can basically transform a non-linear problem into a linear form just using some binary variables, using some tricks. Uh, then you can do, you can use non-linear optimization techniques, but that's slightly harder to use. And uh, finally, you can use something like genetic algorithms, uh, which, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which well, are very, those. Yeah, those are very popular in the financial world. So can you give us an example of a non-linear problem and a trick that you would use to change it into a linear problem? So I know it must be a hard question, but something simple, <laughs> just so that we get a better understanding of what, what you mean by non-linear. 
sure. So let's say you have a fixed cost for a warehouse. So I'm just going to stick with this warehouse example. So which means that if you're using a warehouse, so if you're putting a warehouse in a certain location, then there are certain costs associated, so there are certain variable costs which are dependent on your throughput. So the more commodities you transport via this warehouse, the more you pay. Right, so because it's handling, it's inventory costs, etc. So it depends on the on your throughput. But then there are also things like fixed costs. So basically, what it means is that if you put it, if you have a warehouse, whether you rent it or whether you own it, you pay some money, uh, irrespective of how much you use it. Right, so whether you whether your throughput is 1,000 tons or 100,000 tons, you would still pay the same amount mm-hmm. of money mm-hmm. to use this warehouse. Makes so it's sense. a fixed cost. It's a fixed cost for the business, and it's effectively non-linear in nature, right? While variable costs are linear, so let's say if you have a unit cost of $1 per ton, then if you have 1,000 tons of throughput, it will be $1,000. If you have 100,000 tons of throughput, it will be $100,000. So Linear. Yep. But then fixed costs, so including incorporating fixed costs into this formulation, basically non-linear. And then there is a technique. So what, uh, like a trick which you can use to transform this non-linearity into a linear problem. So what you can do, you can introduce a separate binary variable which says, okay, if we have a warehouse in this location, then it's one. If we don't have a warehouse in this location, then it's zero. And then what you do, you multiply. So you use a product of this binary variable and your fixed cost. So let's say a fixed cost is $25,000 per month uh, for one warehouse. And then what you do, um, a model will choose, for each location, it will choose either one or zero, like whether to put a warehouse or not. And then you multiply this by your fixed cost. Right, so if, if it's one, then it will be multiplied by 25,000. So it will be a fixed cost. If it's zero, it will be zero. So that's how you transform a non-linear problem into a linear one. Yeah. So you just use additional, introduce additional variables, and most often it's binary variables, which basically introduce some additional logic. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense, and it's it's actually uh, it's actually a very interesting example. I think I learned a, b- a bit about that myself. Like that, you don't think about it, but really these constant costs for the warehouse in this scenario they are non-linear so they don't increase with your throughput so uh, you do need to come up for a way to deal with them so that that might be a handy trick thanks thanks for that kind of reminds me of uh, dummy variables in regression yeah when you have a categorical variable in your regression and you need to introduce a dummy variable uh, like a one or zero yeah exactly and another good example is when you have let's say constraints which have to be met not simultaneously, but let's say if the first, like there is a condition, so if the first constraint is met, then the second constraint has also to be met. Mm-hmm. In, so there are tricks how to transform this uh, nonlinear logic into a linear set of equations mm-hmm. as well. I don't remember from the top of my head how exactly to do it, but again, introducing uh, one or two binary variables um, can solve it, can transform it into a linear problem. All right, thanks. That sounds like a very interesting field. And so we'll get back to that. I have some some other questions in terms of career-wise. But also I wanted to make a comment on what you said earlier that um, it is so easy that like people, especially business owners who do not use data analytics or data science in their decision-making process are making an unforgivable mistake because computers have developed so rapidly and also algorithms with the computers have developed so rapidly over the past decade that you should be using them. And one of the things that's like pops to mind on that topic is that before, like back in the day, decision trees, when they were first brought into life, they were, you know, they were popular. But then they kind of died off because more sophisticated algorithms took their place, like uh, linear regressions, logistic regressions, and, and so on. So support vector machines and so on. But now decision trees, even though they are not as powerful, because the computers are getting so powerful, um, now we've got algorithms like um 
random forest or uh, gradient boosting, which actually employ those previously uh, used methods such as decision trees, but they use them in ensemble ways. So instead of having one decision tree, you have like 500 or, or 50,000 decision trees working for you. And as an ensemble, they make better predictions than one individual decision tree. So it is exactly the case that both algorithms and computers have developed so rapidly over the past decade that it is so easy to come up with a model to or even just hire somebody like um, like BCG or uh, any other consulting firm to help you out place those warehouses or whatever you're trying to uh, solve using data science. So that was, a, that was a great comment and I totally agree with you on that one. And uh, so moving back to what we started talking about, what is your daily challenge? What is the most challenging thing in your role? I think a challenging thing, so very often I have projects with huge amounts of data that I need to handle. And so, for example, my previous project involved something like over 30, 40 different data sets that I had to manage pretty much on a daily basis. So I need, I need to remember what kind of information is located in which data set. I need to remember how to link all these data sets. Uh, what do these different field, fields mean? Uh, if I need to pull out some additional information that I didn't have um, in my, uh, let's say, analytics data set before, which original data set do I go into? And that was quite tough for me to be honest to challenge uh, sorry to handle just because I was the only person um, on this case um, doing the data analytics uh, and advanced analytics stuff yeah that was quite challenging and the way I overcame it is that I just used uh, like I built in very very quick additional tools for myself very basic ones in Excel where I just basically had a list of all the data sets I had with the corresponding business owner from the client side. So who can I um, get to? So who can I contact if I have any questions or if I if the data is uh, slightly off? Um, and then I had the list of comments across fields and general comments like, oh, this field is not reliable, don't use it, um, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And is that something that you continue doing on uh, new projects now? Depends. Sometimes it's not... I generally don't work with lots of data sets now that I'm at PCG. So if I have, uh, let's say, supply chain optimization case, uh, of course you need data, you need things like transportation data to um, understand what your historical price rates are, uh, just as an example. But I usually ask someone else to do it for me, and then I just use these calculations for my modeling. So I don't usually work with large data sets. Yeah, I just only use this, let's say, technique uh, or trick uh, if I have very, very large data sets. Okay, all right. That's, that's, that's a good example of a challenge. And maybe some of our listeners can learn from that, that you shouldn't get lost in all the data sets that you have. So make sure to keep track of them from the very, very start. And uh, now that we know more, a little bit more about exactly what you do and this, this new style of analytics, I'm sure that a lot of our uh, listeners will find that this is a new kind of approach or a new um, field in analytics that uh, they haven't explored before. Um, this simulation type of analytics and advanced analytics. What would you suggest? What would you say the one most important thing is for somebody to look into to get into this field because not everybody has to go you know through the same pathway that you went through data science through you know Deloitte and learning R programming and so on this sounds like a field where you can get into even if you don't have a passion for R programming or Python or SQL that you can probably just if you have that mindset you could probably get into this field what would you say is that one thing that people should focus on in order to break into the field of advanced analytics Mindset, yeah, is very important. Uh, again, you have to like this thing in order to start learning it and to incentivize yourself to learn it. Otherwise, you have no chance. And for, so, for example, the moment I saw the simulation model, which was an animated supply chain with trains moving around, I literally loved it. I want to be doing this. <laughs> I want to build something like that. And at that time, I thought about doing something like that in R, which was pretty much impossible. And then I learned about these other softwares that are available that can do this thing and I started to learn them which helped me a lot and then for, for some particular things so if for example if we take simulation modeling 
you also need to know some programming because um, like all of the software that I know, um, they are based on some kind of programming language. So the one that I use is based on Java, for instance. And you don't need to know hardcore Java. You don't need to be a hardcore Java programmer, but you need to know basics. That's uh, at minimum, and you need like ideally you need to know like an you have you need to have an intermediate level of programming in that language, which a tool is based on. Okay, that's a good good one. And are there any open source tools or softwares or maybe even just websites where people who want to try their skills out in this field, they can go to or they can download these open and free tools just to like get a feel for it, you know, like like a playground. Can you suggest any tools that are free? As far as I know, this is very commercial, commercially heavy area. So all of the tools that I know about are commercial and they are not free, unfortunately. So the one that I use, for instance, is AnyLogic. They have a trial version, which is available on their website, mm -hmm. which is free. They also have have a so-called student or an educational version, which if you're a student at university and you're writing a coursework, which may require some simulation modeling, um, then they can provide it for free, I believe, as well, which you can try. Then there is also a website. So they have a website called runthemodel.com, which is a repository of the models built in AnyLogic. And it has models across all differences, oh, sorry, all industries, whether it's supply chain, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's finance. You can find lots of lots of different models there. And I highly encourage you, if it's something that um, you might want to look at, just go to the website and check different models that they have just to get a feel of what it is and whether it's something that you may want to try or not. And also, in order to, to do these kind of things, you also need to have like business acumen. So like, no, one, no one wants these models per se, right? Like no one cares if you build a simulation model or an optimization model. And consulting is actually is very, very tough on that. Like 99% of um, consulting is all about delivering value for our clients. And in 99% of cases, this value is expressed in dollar terms. So no one is interested in the simulation or an optimization model per se. Uh, companies are interested in how they can use these models or the insights from the analysis to generate more revenue or to reduce their costs. So that's where my economic background and more broadly my knowledge of how businesses operate helps a lot. But then if you want to try something like that, you also need to have this business acumen. So no one is interested in just the model. People are interested in what they can do with, with these models, how these models can be used to drive their profitability. So increasing their revenue or decreasing their cost. So that's where uh, knowledge of how business operates helps. That's awesome. And so it's it's very good advice. It's very easy to get carried away doing the analytics and not actually thinking how the business is going to drive dollars. Because it might sound a bit cynical, it might sound a bit too money focused and money driven, but that's the world we live in. We live in a capitalistic world. And a lot of the time or most of the time, people, especially businesses are going to care about the dollar value. So it's very important when you're building a model to keep that in mind and as you say business acumen helps a lot and the other thing that you mentioned the runthemodel.com super excited about that everybody who's listening to this jump on your browsers and go to runthemodel.com and check out those AnyLogic models. I'm going to personally do that as well. Really curious because I've seen some of those AnyLogics that you've created, Artem. Those were very powerful and very even exciting to look at. So I would love to see some more of that and understand how they work as well. And just to add to my previous point, I've heard that one saying once, which I quite like, and I would slightly paraphrase it, paraphrase it. So imagine that we have a chart, right, where an x-axis represents time and y-axis represents level of granularity of your work. So how deep you go into the rabbit hole. Let's say bottom of the chart being very, very granular level of detail and top of the chart being C-suite level. So like CEO, CFO, etc. Did you imagine that? There may be different opinions on that matter, but I say that you start so working as a data scientist and especially in consulting, you start very high on the y-axis. So you start with a big picture of the problem and what are the business implications, and then you go very deep into the data, into the level of detail. You crunch the data, you analyze it, you derive some insights, 
Then you go back to the high level with some preliminary insights or some results. You sense check this, validate it at a high level. You go down, you go back down to the number crunching and so on and so forth. So you're almost never in the middle. A lot of time you are spending cutting the trees in the bottom, if you like, but you also need to jump high to see the whole forest and not to get lost in this tree in these trees. So and that's what I quite like in, in my area that this velocity I can need to go down, then need to go up again. Pretty interesting. Yeah, that's that's a great analogy. I'm I'm I was just drawing it and yeah it's it's how of it course looks. in sorry, of course in industries it may be slightly different, like because you won't go like if you have a boss you won't go you won't bypass your boss and go directly to see your CFO to present your findings. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, you need to go to, to this middle level. Yeah, yeah, middleman. Thank you very much for that, Artem. I just have two last questions. So first one is, where can our listeners find you? How can they follow you if they want to learn more about your career and maybe connect with you? Probably LinkedIn would be the best option. So if they can find my name and surname in LinkedIn, I wouldn't expect many people having my having same name <laughs> and surname as me popping up. So hopefully you would find me pretty quickly. That's great. We'll we'll leave that in the show notes at superdatascience.com. You'll be able to find the show notes for the show and we'll have a link to Artem's LinkedIn there. And one final question, what is the book? So usually I ask about the book, but in this case, we had a specific request uh, from Bo. Big shout out to you, Bo, in the US, who is interested in learning more about statistics and he would like to know a book on statistics that could help him get into the field and develop some advanced knowledge. Can you recommend a book on statistics for our listeners, including Bo? Can you give me, sorry, Kirill, can you give me a bit more detail, whether it's like basic statistics or advanced statistics, whether it's a particular technique that Bo is interested in? Um, that's I have a few that... different options depending on what Okay, so... Is. Um, Bo, when we spoke with Bo, he said he was interested in more of an advanced level of statistics. So he, his problem was that his organization uses a lot of, um, like presents uh, findings to, I think he was working with Microsoft actually, like as a consultant or something like that. And the findings that he presented weren't uh, like the, the company that he was working with didn't like the results simply because he didn't present them in a statistical enough fashion. They, they didn't have the distributions, he didn't talk about standard deviations. So he just gave them like numbers and charts, but the company on the other end wanted some like actual more deep statistical backing and to actually prove that these were statistically significant results. So something more of on the advanced level of statistics. In this case, I can probably suggest a book, uh, Statistical Models by David Friedman. Um, it's actually, it includes some basic stuff as well, but it's a good overview of all statistical models. And in fact, it's one of the classic statistical books in, in a few universities, including Berkeley. So I would recommend it. Then there are also lots of various books on different techniques. So, you know, this area has become very advanced and even things like random forests, GLMs or boosted models, they in fact, they can be, they will have their own books just devoted to this one technique. So uh, let's say if you're interested in JLMs, then there is a very good book called Categorical Data Analysis by Agresti, I believe it's pronounced. So have a look at that if, you want, if you're interested. Okay, fantastic. So that's Statistical Models by David Friedman and Categorical Data Analysis by Agresti. So I will definitely put those into the show notes. Do you have any final comments? Maybe other books or maybe something that you'd like to wish our listeners on their way into becoming data scientists and as successful as yourself. <laughs> That's a huge compliment from your side, Kiro. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, look, I think my last piece of advice will be just don't get lost in the trees because data science science is a very heavy area just in terms of number crunching, right? And you can easily get lost in the data, in the numbers, etc. And I saw many people do that. But just remember somewhere in your heads that you're all doing this just because there is a business problem required to do this. What people and what company executives are interested in is to how they can use your work and the results of your work to improve their balance sheet or to improve their 
profit and loss. And once you understand that, once you will be able to understand what the business problems are and even identify business problems yourself. So identifying areas, just being proactive and identify areas where you can add value as a data scientist. Because very often people don't know how they can use data science to improve their current operations. Actually, it's part of your job to tell them that, look, we can do this awesome thing, for example, on customer segmentation, which can allow us to do this this and this, this will allow us to improve our marketing campaign, etc, etc. Just be proactive, think about the business problems that you can use your skills to solve and proactively engage with the business stakeholders to, to use your analysis to solve these problems. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So guys, advice is basically to sum it up, keep the end game in mind. Remember, always remember why you're doing what you're doing. Thank you very much, Artem. Really appreciate you taking this time out of your busy schedule to share your knowledge and insights. This was a fantastic catch up. I'm very excited about this. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will learn so much from what you've shared. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kirill. Pleasure for me. And there you have it. I am still so excited about this episode. I hope you derived so much value from here. Personally, I learned a lot. Personally, for me, the most mind-blowing thing was the whole concept of advanced analytics and how it's different to data science and that you don't really need to develop those data science skills if you want to get into advanced analytics. Yes, you will need to know modeling. Yes, you'll need to know a bit of stats. But ultimately, you, you don't have to go the same pathway that Artem did. You don't have to first study R programming, then do data science for two years, and then only discover advanced analytics for yourself. The website that Artem recommended, runthemodel.com, if you check it out, so I had a quick look, but if you check it out, you will see these models there that other people have built. So you'll see examples, and maybe that will inspire you to research uh, this type or this field of uh, I don't. E I can't even call it data science because it's not data science. This field of analytics that is completely different, and maybe you will be so interested in it that you'll decide to build your career around that. So I highly encourage you to check out that website. Maybe get a trial for any logic. And at the end of the day, it's just a good thing to know that this part of analytics exists. And it's interesting how we previously had the episode with Dmitry Korneev, which was episode number five. And there we learned about uh, data science and forensics and fraud investigation. Here, we are also learning about a whole new field, which is advanced analytics. And Artem was kind enough to take some time out of his day and show us a glimpse on this field. And if you found it interesting, then I highly encourage you to research it further and see if you like it. And maybe this is something that you will decide to somehow include in your career. And as always, you can get the show notes at www.superdatascience.com slash seven. So just the number seven. There you'll find the transcript for this episode. You'll be able to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Also at the bottom, leave us a comment. Let Artem and I know how you felt about this episode. What new things you learned about this episode. And also you'll find a link to Artem's LinkedIn. Make sure to hit him up, show him some love and connect with him, follow his career. I'm sure he's going to be up to some extraordinary things in the coming years. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, happy analyzing.